This is the Power of Genetics podcast, the podcast designed to help visionary practitioners build a more successful practice, transform more lives, and lead their patients into the future of personalized health. In each episode, I'll interview successful practitioners and leading thought leaders who will share their insights and expertise to help you prepare your practice for what lies ahead. I'm your host, Dr. Yael Jaffe, and now let's get into today's episode. A big, big welcome to Andrea Nakayama, who I have been waiting to talk to since season one. So I, I am delighted and very excited to have you join me on the Power of Genetics podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Yael. I'm so excited to be here. A couple of months back, and we can't work out exactly how many months, we were like, had this amazing conversation where like, I've always wanted to meet you and you were like, oh, I want to meet you. And we were like, had this like kind of frenzy of excitement about learning about each other's work. And here we are again, getting to talk, which is never enough, but at least is the start. So I have been hearing your name for years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I used to go to like IFM conferences and nutrition conferences and I'd hear Andrea Nakayama and I had this idea that like who is this kind of guru of functional nutrition and then when I met you I'm like oh my god but you're like so normal you're like so real <laughs> so let's let's start off by just telling us who are you and and where did you come from and what is you study and then we'll get into like the big stuff but let's just start yeah. off like where did it all begin Yeah. And so excited to talk to you. And it's always a treat to meet other entrepreneurial women, especially in this shared space of functional medicine and how we're bringing the mission and the message forward. So thank you for having me. Who am I and where did it all start? Well, I used to have a completely different career, and I think that actually has served me well. I don't come from a health, medical, or science background to begin with. I, of course, did a ton of training, but that was as an adult and as a second maybe third career. So my background was in art and design and writing and publishing. And I always had a passion for food and I had a passion for my own health. So when I started to feel things that I can look back and say, oh, those were the beginnings of Hashimoto's. Those were the beginnings of my autoimmunity. I was trying to control it as we type A women are want to do with my diet and lifestyle, trying to look at my yoga and what I was eating and how it made me feel. But that all went into high gear when I uh, I was pregnant and my husband was diagnosed with a brain tumor. So I was just seven weeks pregnant and he was diagnosed with a glioblastoma multiforme, really out of the blue. There were not signs leading up to it, nothing to indicate that something was going wrong until he had a severe headache that was quickly diagnosed as a sinus infection and then quickly undiagnosed as a sinus infection when he could barely function. It was so severe. So that really advanced my interest in all alternative practices because of course we were doing the traditional route. He had two craniotomies, radiation therapy, all sorts of chemotherapy, took thalidomide, you know, like all sorts of experimental because he was so young, he was early thirties. He was like the, uh, 
target for every experimental study out there. But I started doing all the other things, looking at what do we do with diet? What do we do with lifestyle? What do we do with acupuncture? Because I knew it was going to take everything. He was given six months to live and I was seven weeks pregnant. We can do the math and recognize that that wasn't working in our favor. So that really, I think of it as my boot camp, but it also catapulted who I was to become, not just in my passion about diet and lifestyle, but my recognition that there were gaps in the field of medicine and that people were treated only like their diagnosis. We were too fortunate before that to have entered the medical system and seen its faults or its gaps. So he lived two and a half years. So he was alive, you know, he died when our son was 19 months old and Gilbert will soon be 21. So that was nearly 20 years ago. So it's a long time now. And it wasn't until after my husband Isamu died that I really realized this was my calling. Long story, but hopefully the cliff notes. No, I mean, that's, an, I mean, it's an amazing story. It's extremely powerful. I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense. So what did you do when you realized that you had this calling? Because now you've done your boot camp. You're obviously grieving. You've got the small child. You realize that there's a different path for you. So how do you, where do you go? Where do you even begin? Yeah. And it took a bit for me to begin because I didn't think of myself as a healer or somebody that would worked in the sciences at all. So I had a very successful career in book publishing and it was a hard job to leave because I was established, well-compensated, worked from home for a company in New York, from San Francisco, and then Portland. It was a big, huge leap. But the thing that really called me was a friend of mine who is a naturopathic doctor, uh, was diagnosed with colon cancer. And I started doing my researchy, what do we do? And then I was like, wait a minute, I'm in naturopath land. All our friends are naturopaths. They don't need me. Like, I I don't need to be here. What are, what am I going to do that they don't already know? And ultimately that friend came to me and said, will you do my plan for pre and post op nutrition? And I realized, wow, she was coming to me. Like I didn't have any training there was something they weren't doing that I did bring to the table. And that made me look into how do I get training? And that made me go, wow, I really, I really want to do this. And it was a huge, huge leap. And I just want to say to all, like all of us, I mean, all of us usually come in the field from some loss or some experience Mm -hmm. with the gaps in medicine, but every time in our career is a leap. A lot of times people will say to me, no, you don't understand. I'm just doing this for the first time. And I'm like, (laughs) I did it. And I continue to do it. And I'm still doing it. (laughs) I'm still doing it. I'm still doing it. So that made me put myself back through school while I was working in a single mom. I did, you know, my post-bac pre-med pre-reqs with all the nursing students. And what I was finding as I was in the sciences is that there were connections that 
the teaching wasn't making, but somehow my brain was starting to see these connections between what my husband had been through, what nobody told us about. And I couldn't find anybody talking about those connections. And so I was like, where, where does this connection thing that I'm finding and seeing exist? And that really started to be the work I did and I didn't find functional medicine until later to even put a name to what I was already doing in the realm that might have been considered at that point nutrition coaching or health coaching. Because after those five years of science classes, I got into a registered dietitian program. I didn't want to move as a single mom. I decided not to go and just pursued different training, including IFM training, but lots of different nutrition training and mass certifications, ultimately got my master's, but still nobody was teaching this thing that I was doing. And then I found people coming to me asking about my successes. So the building of my curriculum was an accident. I thought I was like creating a small mentorship group for 10 people. And I now train like 2000 practitioners a year. Let's just go back. Let's go back a step because I mean, obviously I want to talk about the Functional Nutrition Alliance and the teaching you're doing, but I'm guessing there's a couple of years between the two, right? So let's just go back a step and you have this amazing awareness. You start training yourself. You're doing all the courses, biology, biochemistry, all of that. You're starting to put together these connections that you're understanding that, that it's more about function, antecedents, all these things, right? Was there a moment or a person or a conference or a time where you suddenly found your tribe, where you went, oh my God, like I finally found my home. And, and how did that happen for you? That's such a great question. And I live, as we were discussing in Portland, Oregon. So there's some ways in which I'm living in a bubble where people are what I would call the little bigs. So I always like to say like, how big is their health issue? And then how interested are they in health? So in our clinic, we work with the big bigs, people who have diagnoses or chronic symptoms that aren't diagnosed and they've done everything. They're eating low FODMAP, low histamine, eating three foods. They can't digest anything. That's who we work with in our clinic. But I was surrounded by the people who were little, had little issues, little fatigue, a little, but they were so interested in health and nutrition. So I had my tribe in that way and that people were hungry for the connections. Why is sugar impacting me like that? And what's my child doing and why are they behaving like that? All of that was my tribe to be able to educate in the way that I do because I was surrounded by open ears. So knock on wood for that. And I think it was attending the IFM, the for, the five day, totally forgetting applying yeah, clinic, applying AM, functional medicine <laughs> in clinical, clinical practice, practice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, where yeah. I was like, oh, this is what I do. Like it was five days of me thinking like, oh, this is what I do. It's just that my toolbox is food and nutrition and lifestyle as opposed to medical intervention that I started to realize this is the container of what I've been doing and haven't had a name for. 
And was that an amazing experience for you, MCP? I mean, was it like looking around going, I totally belong here. These people are learning all the stuff I've been doing and I'm not alone out there in the wilderness. And It was empowering because it was the reflection of where medicine was holding what I was holding in a different realm. And it was empowering in that I felt like I knew a lot in the room. Like actually I wasn't a medical doctor, but I was then partnering with people who didn't know about gluten or didn't know about leaky gut. So I was like, wait a minute. I actually don't have to play small. Like I'm just a nutritionist, right? Like Uh this actually has a real place here. They're recognizing diet and lifestyle, but they're not diving into it beyond the handout. And we actually do the count or I actually do. I didn't have, I did have a team. I was just starting to have a team, but I actually have the counseling piece because dietary change is rough. It's a big deal. (laughs) It's it's hard. Otherwise everyone would do it, right? Exactly. So so what's interesting and give me a sense of the years we're talking about, because I'm trying to think about when we started having a, so I was also like attending IFM, which was functional medicine in the early 2000s. And I'm trying to get a sense in my head when we started having a conversation about functional nutrition. And there was a transition time because up until then, there was no functional nutrition. There was functional medicine with nutrition handouts, right? Yes. Yes. And so I remember, you know, Ruth DeBusk, and I remember Ruth who started with me, obviously, in um, nutrigenomics. And I remember Ruth saying, well, you carry on with nutrigenomics. That's all very fine. I'm going to dedicate the rest of my career, and she still is, to to functional nutrition. I was like, what's that? Yes. And like, of course, nutrigenomics is a huge part of it, but... But it hadn't really been defined. It was functional medicine. So give me. A, so I think that's what you're actually talking about, is that the conversation, the narrative was functional medicine. The narrative actually, was definitely functional medicine. Yeah, and that no one had owned and said, hold on, there is a whole world out there, which is functional nutrition, that I'm hearing from people like yourself, from people like Kathy Swift, yes. Susan Allen, Ruth DeBusk. And I'm saying, yes. like, I'm just putting the four of you in a like right here and saying you guys have been absolutely driving the development of a com- in a way that like nutrigenomics has grown and needs people to build it you're the four people I can think of offhand who have really built and I should say Sheila because of Sheila and Kathy mm-hmm. yeah. Dean, that have really built this field into its own field into its yes. standalone can you comment on that Yeah, I mean, I think it's still building and I do feel it's my responsibility, you know, with these other people and not not as a solo person. I mean, this is where I feel very fortunate to have trained over 5000 people because it's us, right? It's it's this power of the movement going forward, even if we can't call it functional nutrition, which is a term that not a lot of people are going to know. But I see it as one of my goals to make that a more commonplace language or terminology so that we can speak into what is that? What does it mean? It's still like, what what does that mean? And I can go over what it means, but I think it's very confusing. Functional medicine is confusing enough. 
and not yeah. enough people know that. And so for me, yeah. the movement is about all the functional practices and how we see more holistically, how we see, like you said, the antecedents, what I'd like to think of as the story, the soup, everything that's going on in system biology and the skill. What are we doing in relation to that person's story and their systems biology? So for me, the systems work and how we think the awareness we bring to the areas that live between our doctor's visits. That's the gap that we fill, but I think it's a bit of a crusade for me. I don't think it's known enough. I do no, think probably it just amongst us. Exactly. <laughs> it, we live in our bubble. Exactly. Yeah. No, totally. And we all like to conferences <laughs> and we pat each other on the back and say, oh, it's going so well because another 500 people heard about us. But I, I, I do think it's a movement. And I, I was thinking about, we were talking earlier about Liz Lipsky, Professor Liz Lipsky, you know, and watching her journey, which has been absolutely, so, so there's a couple of things I, I totally love about Liz. And the one is, and I've heard this from a lot of guests on the podcast, is that, you know, you've got to be inclusive. Yes. That it's not them and us. No. It's not functional nutrition and dietetics or Western medicine and functional medicine. Terry Wells was the best of all. I mean, she works for Love. the VA. Love. Yeah. Amazing. You, yeah. Yeah, listen, she works for the VA and she's like, yeah. it's not them and us. If we yes. want to change healthcare, we're all working together. Yeah. I was thinking about the same thing. You know, we, I was thinking about different dietitians of integrative and functional medicine. You know, we're talking about this dream that one day there isn't a different. Right. Because it's not, it's not a practice group. Yes. You know, yeah. it is nutrition. Yes. So I do kind of agree with you that we're still so early and so young. But on the other hand, so that's kind of the negative. When I think of the last five years, the amount of growth in the conversation around whatever we want to call this functional nutrition or the or yes. practicing nutrition at a functional systems way has been exponential. exponential. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I always like to talk into the yes and. So that's the yes and in what kind of practitioners are involved. And it's also because a lot of people come into nutrition thinking like the doctors are doing it wrong. And it's like the doctors are doing what they're supposed to be doing. Doctors Bravo. Are doing and what they were trained to do. Yeah. And what they were trained to do. And the functional yeah. doctors are also doing what they're trained to do and what they know to do. And they have a gap too. So instead of blaming people for what they don't do. Let's celebrate them for what they do do and recognize that there's a gap and how we fill that gap. And so for me, it's really about the crusade, like I said, that there needs to be a new kind of practitioner. And that new kind of practitioner is without a particular label because we can all drive the movement forward. So in my training, we have doctors, we have NDs, we have DOs, we have chiropractors, we have, uh, we have nurse practitioners, a lot of nurses. I'm about to do a focus group with our nurse students and grads. So a lot of RNs and NPs, we have a lot of dietitians who Uh are like, wait, I didn't learn the functional approach. We have a lot of nutritionists, health coaches, estheticians. And what I'm saying is like, what we all do with this depends on our scope 
where we live, so many factors, who our audience is, but we all have the opportunity to educate and education about one's own body is the key. If people don't understand where their liver is or where their stomach is versus their intestine, like they can't help themselves. And so for me, it's really about how we all go out there and push the dialogue forward from our different vantage points. I'm not asking my health coaches to be nurse practitioners. I'm saying like, even in a Q and A, I will ask somebody, tell me when they're asking a question or a case study, tell me a little bit about your background. Oh, you're a NICU nurse. Okay. Let's talk about yeah. this. Yeah. Oh, you, you have, they bring you're something, a mom right? who, yeah, exactly. And they bring Every, something. Exactly. And so yeah. it's how we take the systems thinking, both the systems biology and the systematic way of practicing forward wherever we sit. And for me, that's the inclusive way of yeah, thinking. That's I part that. of the inclusive way of thinking. I'm trying to do more work in social impact arenas and social determinants, working with transgender practitioners, working with military veterans, seeing, is there a way we can bring this conversation into sectors that may have less trust, may have less access, may not know functional. Like how does this very elitist way of thinking yeah. serve? And that's really Love where it. my forward work is going as well. So I'm going to use a terrible cliche and you'll forgive me, but it is the democratization of functional nutrition. Yes, absolutely. And I've always said like the greatest downfall of nutrition right from the first day of my dietetics degree is this idea that someone can own nutrition. Yes. And I love what you're saying, because what you're actually saying is no one owns nutrition. Exactly. We have this beautiful, wonderful language and knowledge and content to learn. And who we are will depend on how we engage and use that knowledge. But the knowledge yes. is the knowledge. And let's yes. take it out into the world. And that's been, for me, the downfall of nutrition is yes. this idea of I call castles and moats. Yes, exactly. and, and there's a couple of organizations, not naming any, that are castles with yes. very big moats around saying, you're not invited to this party. Exactly. And that we have the right answer, the right answer for nutrition, and you don't. And exactly. what the conversation you're having with me is the complete opposite of that. Yes. And, it's, and, and I love that. And I really hope and pray that your crusade, I will be there to cheer you on the sidelines. Thank you. It's successful because... <laughs> It, this has to change. Like it, it has, has to. to we need to break down the, the walls. We need to cover the moats and invite everyone to the party because the reality is that when they invented Google and everyone could search for nutrition information, the castle and, and moats were not relevant anymore because people were going to find information about nutrition. So yes. let us at least open it up to educate whoever wants to learn to be able to at least have that good functional knowledge. I know I'm preaching to the converted chair, but I'm just very excited about what you're saying. Totally. And I take it out into the world. It has to be collaborative and we have to realize where people have different needs that when we're really embracing a patient-centered, personalized, science-based approach that we have to bring that to all levels of care 
And sometimes I think one of the downfalls of nutrition, especially in the current space, is that it can't always be about food first because there are people who have been traumatized by food, whether it's access to food or whether it's body dysmorphia. We have to really find our way in to the conversation that helps us realize, for me, nutrition isn't just about what we eat. Of course, it's about what our body can do with what we eat but it's also about how we sleep. We know sleep impacts the microbiome. It's about how we stress or find resilience, right? So it's about our relationships because nutrition, our our cells are fed in so many ways. And so of course, I'm always about the food and, you know, diet is even a bad word right now. I don't even want to say it because there's diet culture and there's so much around that. But I really feel like we have to have the conversation that, Functional nutrition is about helping you restore your body's function so that you can do the things you want to do in the world. And it doesn't have to be about restrictions and taking things away. And it's a very delicate dance, which is why there's counseling in there. It's not just about like, here's your handout, follow these guidelines. Oh, it doesn't work for you. I don't know what to do with you anymore. It's this beautiful dance of who are you? And I have to say the work that I've been doing with the transgender group is the most eye-opening experience for me. It fills my heart with love and compassion because the body dysmorphia is huge. It's real. And the history with relationship to food while trying to figure out what's going on is complicated. And to slow that conversation down and still be able to serve is like the best lesson I've had this whole year. It's amazing. So I read through your website and I picked up just some comments that actually speak to what you're saying. And I just want to tell everyone really where you talk about art and science, empathy and physiology, and you talk about intuition and problem solving. Yes. And that's that's <laughs> what you're talking about, right? Yes, that's exactly. Yeah, I think part of what gets lost, because my training is a lot about physiology and where food meets physiology. And the interesting thing is, you know, we may have more advanced practitioners, you were sharing one with me before we started, that come in and think, oh, I already know all this. But the way we're reframing the conversation about physiology is really through how we understand its function and begin to be able to use critical thinking. So for me, it's the science and the art and the missing piece that's hard to tell people they don't have, but that is really the underlying message for me is critical thinking. We have to be able to say, there's more than one way to quote unquote, resolve a solution. There's not one route. There's more than one route to resolution. And so how do we embrace all that we're seeing in this individual to be able to critically think How do I help this person? And what I find the most with the practitioners that I train is that the recommendations they give are about them and their knowledge and what they're trying to prove. And not about you or me. Yeah, exactly. Not about the, it's not, they Hmm. think they have empathy. I mean, my biggest conversation is probably about clinical and functional empathy, but I can't lead with it because we all think we have it. 
I believe we're doing empathy all wrong from a functional perspective. And that's like one of my real messages, but it's a hard one to have because we all think we do have empathy. Come on, I, I, you can't leave me hanging like that. Come on, just give me the <laughs> two minute pitch. Please share with me what, I mean, that, that's a fascinating comment. So give me the short version. I really think it is that we are trying to often be the bridge versus building the bridge. And when we're building a bridge in a therapeutic partnership, which is one of the key tenets of a functional practice, we are making room for that person that we're serving, that client or patient, to be fully present in all of their beauty and flaws as part of what will inform our recommendations. They are not just a person with Lyme disease or lupus or RA or cancer. They are so much more than that. And so oftentimes I think we are empathetically being the bridge, trying to feel their pain and fix it, quote unquote, which we cannot do. But if we sit in our own place and we find what I think of as dispassionate compassion, we are allow ourselves to really see the entirety of the individual. And that's where that critical thinking comes in to fully serve the needs of the individual. Did that make sense? Quick soundbite on empathy. Beautiful. (laughs) I love that. I mean, it is something that Terry Wells said as well, which is meet the patient where they are. Yes, which I think we all say, but it's so hard to do. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you're trying to fix something and you've got all this content knowledge that you just want to throw at them and say, well, if you do this, this, and this, you'll be fine. Yes. I mean, a lot of people don't care about their mitochondria in that moment. (laughs) And maybe they, A, that they don't care, but also there's so much stuff they can't do. They just can't do it. So, exactly. All right. Amazing conversation. Yeah. I have to say that I have not been inspired at any point to go back and study more nutrition. I thought I was done, but I have to say that if I was going to, I would love to see what you're teaching. I know my colleague Candace is studying with you, who's loving it so much, but I would really love to see because it sounds like a very different approach. Congratulations. It Thank really you so amazing. much. Yeah, I okay, feel very let's fortunate. Let's talk about okay. my work now. Let's okay, talk let's talk about your work. work. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> let's, let's focus on me now. Let's okay. do that. I mean, a lot of the story that you're talking about is, is the same journey that we've walked in New Tijer. And you know, I don't know if you know this, but I started in architecture. Oh my gosh, I love that. Yeah, yeah isn't that funny? And then yeah. I also had my moment, my grand died, and, and my journey changed. So I did art, history, English, no science, no science at all. Had to find my way. So I knew you were my sister. I knew it. There you go. So there sister. you go, see? <laughs> and it makes total sense when I look at your work and your site and how you engage of that you came from where you came from. Now I'm yeah. like, oh, of course. Now I totally get it. Yeah, that's not the point. The point is that my journey in nutrigenics is very similar, which is, you know, finding the conversation, bringing the conversation out, making it inclusive, allowing everyone to engage, everyone to learn, to become a, a part of a community, to feel like they can dip their toe in no matter where they are in the journey, that they don't have to be the expert. They can just have heard the word snip and that would be enough to engage and learn and and, and share. So it's so a very similar kind of journey of very hard work trying to find get the conversation out there and not allow it to be held in any one castle or any one moat. But let's talk about genetics a little bit because for me, nutrigenomics lives beautifully and epigenetics, but beautifully in this in this world of functional nutrition. 
Um, and that's the reason I love talking to you, working with other organizations in the functional nutrition space is because it's actually where it sits. It, it sits and it lives there. So the question we, being the power of genetics podcast is, where do you see genetics living in this and how do you see it playing out in the future? Well, it's huge. It's huge. And this is one of the things where I feel like you use the word democratization and I'm thinking about, you know, how we work collaboratively and the research and the knowledge and the technologies that are evolving around genetics are so important and how we bring that into the reality of practice. I've found a lot of mistakes made along the way. I'm seeing oh, yes. a lot more Correction happening now. Um, as a you know instructor, I see students get caught up in the wrong conversations around genetics, and so for me, it is one of the three roots. So I always say three roots, many branches. There with any chronic condition, the branches are any sign, symptom, or diagnosis. And I like to have people understand that there's always three roots that we should be looking at, and ways we influence those roots. Those roots are the genes, digestion and inflammation. So genes are a critical part of the conversation. When we think about the soil around that root, it's food, movement, environment, and mindset. And when we look at food, there's many ways to look at the ways we influence food and nutrigenomics is one of those ways. So it's a critical, you know, like, I don't, I like to think of it as a DJ, which probably ages me because I don't think anybody's spinning records. Yeah, but it's all these things. It's not like one, then, then we have to be thinking about what influences those genes, which are the epigenetic factors. And nutrigenomics is, of course, a way into looking at those epigenetic factors. So for me, genes, we can't ignore our genes. They set us up positively, negatively, both at the same time. There's such amazing research into epigenetics from you know the 70s. I'm sure you know all the research, but even looking at what was happening in utero for people who lived through different conditions and famine. Like there's so much yeah. fascinating information that influences the genes that brought us to the tipping point that is today. And so critical to think of. Yeah. And yet how we think about it, I think still has, yes. uh, is oh, a nuanced sure. conversation that I'm so happy you're a part of and moving forward from a, you know, science-based. Some of the mistakes. <laughs> some of the mistakes. Correct because we're having the conversation doesn't mean we're having the right conversation. So I think. Correct. Yeah. So I think that's, that's the point is, you know, to make sure that we're having, that, that if we are going to talk about genetics, we make sure that we're being responsible and accurate and having the right conversation and, and applicable. providing and applicable and translational yeah. yes. and relevant and clinically useful. Exactly. Um, so, and like you, you know, where you built an education academy because of a gap. Yes. Because it wasn't being taught and it wasn't being offered. It's It's been my, my same experience. It wasn't my intention to go build an education company and, and nutrigenomic courses. I knew nothing about building courses or online, or I didn't even know what the LMS stood for <laughs> and a learning management system for those of you that don't know. But it was because people kept on asking me to teach and you can't be in a thousand places at the same time and teach. So I was like, well, let me try and put this online and, and I'm sure it also was a similar experience of where you begin and starts with this little group of people and suddenly, you know, you realize 
I call it the knowledge gap, you know, that there's this yep. huge knowledge gap. And then yep. you find you end up building the rest of your life, which is wonderful. Because I, I mean, I, feel, I still feel like teaching is my favorite of all things. Yeah, it is. It's amazing. Things. Yeah. Yep. I wasn't, I wasn't great with patients. I really wasn't. I'm sure you wonder. <laughs> I'm sure you're wonderful with patients. I didn't, I, I wasn't great with patients, but I do love teaching. I love yes. teaching practitioners. I, I love teaching anyone anyway. So I decided, you know, focus on my strengths, you know, hang there. Anyway, Andre, it has been, well, just wonderful. I mean, I could talk for hours with you, like literally hours. Oh, I, it's so much fun. Yeah, so much fun. Definitely Soul Sister happening there. And and I it just makes so much sense what you told me about, about your background. I it, it just brings it to life. It's so interesting that whenever I meet someone who has really challenged a paradigm or shifted something, they often have had a second career. They've often yes. had a, 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 haven't you found that? Yes, that I think it's career? actually, it's so true. Even of my students who come in from no medical background, because they actually are more able to embrace what they're learning about this paradigm. It is their only paradigm. And so they're not yeah. fighting against another paradigm that's been entrenched within them. So yeah, I think it's the way we see like, wait, something's not happening here. Nobody knows. Yeah, and I'll just spill it. Like there's other ways. Exactly. They bring other knowledge, which is amazing. But Absolutely. They also just bring other understanding of the world, which they're always going to bring in. You know. So that is my it's more favorite. Renaissance I, thinking. Absolutely. Exactly yeah. that. And whenever yes. I meet the most extraordinary practitioners, they usually have chosen to be a health professional as their second career. Yeah. Interesting. So well, what a great way to finish. Again, thank you so thank much. You. I am. Very much looking forward to meeting up with you somewhere between Portland and Seattle in the near future. Can't wait. And we're going to invite Liz Lipsky to come join us. And we're going to have a percent. big tea party. <laughs> and we're going to talk for hours and not, not have to cut it off. Thank you right. so much. for fun. Thank you for listening to the Power of Genetics podcast, brought to you by 3x4 Genetics. For more episodes, please visit 3x4genetics.com slash podcast. And if you are a licensed health practitioner who would like to apply to join our network of over 1,000 like-minded visionary practitioners, please visit 3x4genetics.com slash apply.